is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. And what I wanted to do over these few weeks, as you know, if you were with us last week, we going to spend a few weeks talking about and looking at what are the distinctives of us as a church. Now, how are we building church in Derby? What has God spoken to us about? And we've called this uh, this mini-series, if you like, Church God's Way. And so what I'm wanting to do in these, uh, these few weeks is to underline some different things and to emphasize some of the values that are important to us as we continue to build Jubilee Church here in Derby. So last week we looked at uh, worshipping in spirit and truth and uh, how that is fundamental to everything else that we do. You know, putting God first. I know one or two churches that are called God First. And it's, you know, it speaks of God being first, Him being most important, Him being number one. In everything else that we do, we need to lift him up and worship him. So that's number one. Then I think the second thing for us, which we're going to look at this morning, is the whole theme of community. The whole theme of community. You see, community is important to God because, I mean, he himself lives in community, doesn't he? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So actually, the value of community is very important to him. And uh, if you remember reading in the Gospels, if you know, that, know that any of the Gospels at all, you'll know that the first thing that Jesus did was to build a team. So even right at the beginning of, of Mark's Gospel, if you, you don't have to turn to it, I'll read just a couple of verses to you. Really, One of the first things that Jesus does is calls others. So as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I'll make you fishers of men. When he got a little farther, he, he then sees James, son of Zebedee, and he calls him and his brother John as well. So the first thing that Jesus did before anything else is build a team. Because community was important to him, and indeed it is now. You see, we're designed to live in community, aren't we? You think about what happens when God created man, God creates Adam, and goes, hmm, not good for him to be on his own. And uh, that's true, isn't it? You know, we know that it's not good for us to be on our own. So God creates Eve, but not just as a companion for Adam, but rather to make community, because that's what's one of the things that's important to him. And if it's important to God, then it should be important to us as well. But you see, community is one of the things that our society has lost, isn't it? I think over recent years, my, uh, my grandparents uh, are no longer with us now, but I remember my, my grandparents telling stories of what life was like in the east end of London where they lived in the Second World War. You know, how different people looked out for each other. Well, what life was like in, in that part of London in the, uh, in the 1940s? If you compared what life was like then to what life is like now, 
It's almost a different world. And one of the things that we've lost over that period of time, in society at least, is community and the importance of it and giving ourselves to it. But you know, we can be countercultural. We don't have to just go along with that. Just because that's the, the, um, the direction that the world is taking doesn't mean that we have to be on, on, on that road as well. We can do things differently. And we should be. One of the things that we should be doing in Jubilee is building life-giving communities right across this city and beyond. Do you agree? Some of you look like you might agree, which, which is good. That's encouraging to me. You can smile and you know, nod along the way. That would be, a, that would be good. The community is actually a gift from God. He designed it. He meant for us to live in it. And he knows that it's good for us. One church, talking of their small groups or their community groups, said this recently. They said, community groups are a gift of God. I wonder if you think about that as your life group. you think, is it a gift of God? Well, it is. They say, community groups are a gift of God and a practical outworking of his intention and design for us. Broken by sin, Jesus makes real community possible through the cross. Therefore, gospel-centered community is more than just a place to connect. Rather, it is a tangible proclamation of the reconciling power of the gospel. So it's more than just a place to hang out, the small groups. They're saying, no, it demonstrates something. It demonstrates that we were reconciled to God through Jesus, through the cross, through what he accomplished on the cross. And because we're reconciled with him, we can now be reconciled with one another. And their groups, and I would suggest our groups also, should be a demonstration of that. So, we've got four things I want us to look at this morning. Uh, Building a community that care. Building a community that disciple. Building a community that serve. And building a community that reach out. So that's where we're going. We've got those four headings. Let's pray and then we'll uh, get straight into the first one. Lord Jesus, we do thank you for your words. And I pray as we open it up together that you would speak to us, that you would speak to our hearts. Holy Spirit, come and be our teacher, please. Give us hearts and ears to hear what you would have said to us this morning. Please, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, number one then is building a community that care. Jesus said this in John chapter 13. He said, a new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I wonder if you can notice the reoccurring theme of those two verses. In fact, Jesus says it three times in the space of just two verses. He says, love one another. And it's by that that people will know that we are his disciples. Now, we should get the hint here. This is important to Jesus. He's trying to emphasize something here. And if he's trying to emphasize it, we should take it on board. So Jesus doesn't say it's by people who are famous becoming Christians. He doesn't say it's not by great publicity. He doesn't say it's even by gifted preachers. What Jesus says is, people will know about me and about you that you're my disciples 
if you love one another. See, people notice it. It makes a difference. See, loving one another is important because it demonstrates God's love and it also demonstrates our love for someone else as well. And it demonstrates too that we're loving because he first loved us. Peter talks about how we should love one another deeply in his letter. And John, in his first letter, almost talks about nothing else but loving one another. So loving one another is a key element of New Testament Christianity. You cannot escape it. You cannot read the New Testament and miss this. It's a core part of what it meant to follow Jesus then, and therefore a core part of what it means to follow Jesus now. So how do you do it? Well, loving one another, I would suggest, is hard to do in a large meeting. You know, you don't know everybody there, do you? Even in the number of people we've got here this morning, I, I, I'm pretty sure you don't know every person. And you certainly don't know every situation that they're facing, what life is throwing them at the moment, what they're going through, what their challenges are, or what they're celebrating. Because we don't know that. There are too many people about. Yeah, in Acts chapter 2, we're told that the early church were devoted to one another. Not just knew one another, not just sort of bumped into one another at a meeting, not just sort of said hi as they, as they walked past, but they were devoted to one another. We're told that they met daily in the temple courts and their homes. And there's the key. That's how it worked. They were devoted to one another because they knew one another. And really knew. And they had large meetings in the temple courts and smaller meetings in their homes. And then, particularly in those small meetings, they would have really got to know people. And it would have been sharing life together. It wasn't just that they sort of turned up on a whatever it would have been for them. Maybe it wasn't a Wednesday night at eight, maybe it was another time. But it wasn't that they happened to turn up at the same time in the same place and sing some songs and read some scripture and pray together. But no, no, we're told they were devoted. They must have known each other. And so the early church had this mix of a large meeting, a sort of celebration, a, a big crowd feel, and they had small meetings in their homes. It wasn't just one or the other, it was both and. Like a bird flying needs two wings, or well, it's not going to fly very well. The early church had this sort of two-winged approach to life. And you know, I want to suggest, beware the church that only has one wing, as it were. Because it's not going to work properly. You miss something. If you just have the large meeting, if you just have the celebration, if you just have the Sunday morning thing, then there's some good stuff there. And we love that. That's why we go for it. But you miss out on the community. You miss the opportunity of being devoted to one another. As the New Testament talks about. Similarly, and actually what seems to be more popular in our culture these days is people are saying, hey, don't worry about the big meeting. Don't go to that. Don't, ha don't worry about that. Just have a few people in your home. That's all you need to be church. Well, they get the devoted bit. But what they, get, what they miss is the corporate expression of worship together. The chance to hear God's word preached. The chance to worship with a whole number of people and different people bring contributions 
to hear God's and to receive from him. You need both. So you need the large meeting and the small. But you know, loving one another and being devoted to one another isn't even just about a small meeting. Actually, it's about a lifestyle. That's where loving one another becomes real. It's not just about a meeting, but it's about a lifestyle. So I think things like hospitality helps that. I mean, who here you know, likes to have a meal? Most of us, I would imagine. Some of you didn't put your hand up, and I know you're lying. Most of us like to have a meal, particularly a meal with friends. Think about it. What do you do if you spend time with friends? More likely than not, perhaps not every time, but often you might have them over for a meal. Or you might go out for some food. Hospitality actually helps in getting to know people. It's what friends do. And actually, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, we find that being hospitable is a requirement of Christian leadership. So for any of you who are leading any area of church life, you, you really should have got this one sussed. <laughs> because actually, hospitable, being hospitable is a demonstration of what it means to follow Jesus. Now, let, let, me, let me make a point here. Hospitality is not the same as entertaining. Okay, so it doesn't mean that you have to have a whole come dine with me experience, <laughs> all right, and the best dinner party ever. Now, that's nice to do sometimes, but that's not what the Bible means by being hospitable. It's important we realise this because we can put ourselves under pressure. We can think, oh, someone's coming round for food. I've got to get the best china out. I've got to do an elaborate meal. I've got to do all this, and it makes it a pressure, and you sort of lose the enjoyment and the opportunity of fellowship because of it. Being hospitable, I can even say it, is about saying, hey, why not come over for some food? We're eating at six. Why not come and join us for a while? It's doing it's, you know, an extra plate or two at the dinner table. It's a little bit more than what you were cooking. I mean, make it edible. Make it nice. But it doesn't have to be the greatest gourmet occasion ever. Which for somebody like me, who can often burn pasta, <laughs> it has been known, it has been known, <laughs> so you've been there, it means that even I can do it. I can think of student homes that we've gone to where they've been hospitable. It hasn't been the greatest gourmet meal ever, but it hasn't needed to be either. Because actually it's not about that. It's about opening up our homes and saying, why not come and join us? In Acts 4, we're told that there were no needy persons among them. Such was their love and care for one another. So if we're going to care for one another, we've got to know one another. So I'm suggesting that over food is a good way to get to know people. But it's not just about that. It's about caring for one another, looking out for one another, nine situations that others are facing. And when you say, oh, I'll pray for you, not just say that, but carry it through. And then find out how it went. How's it going? That situation you were facing last week, how did you get on? How did it go? Our love and our care for one another actually demonstrates to people that we love Jesus. So if in the New Testament there were no needy persons among them in the early church, I wonder, could that be said of Jubilee or even of your life group? 
Such was their devotion to another. What's our devotion to another like? Note that it's caring and loving one another. It's not just receiving from the leaders. It's not just expecting them to do all the caring and you to do all the receiving, but it's in the one anothering. It's in the looking out for each other. It's in the loving one another. It's in the community that is generated that we look out for and we love one another. Are we doing that? Friends, we're really going for that. I want to encourage us, particularly this term, let's really go for this. You up for that? Let's really love one another. Let's really demonstrate it. Let's build a community that care. But as well as a community that's care, let's build a community that disciple. You see, community isn't just about giving and receiving care. It's also about growing in God. Tim Keller, the New York pastor, said recently, he said, there is no way you will be able to grow spiritually apart from a deep involvement in a community of other believers. I wonder, are you deeply involved in a community of other believers? You see, Keller is countering the thought that you don't have to be part of a church to be a Christian. That thought, which seems so prevalent in our society, you know, never enters the New Testament writer's head. It's just, it's like it doesn't compute. Because following Jesus was something you did with others. You were part of a community that loved Jesus together. It's just how it was. It's how it, how it happens. And what Keller's saying is there's no way you'll be able to grow spiritually if you disconnect from that. Yet too many people today, and I can think of people I know, who would say they're Christians, yet they have no meaningful connection with any church of any sort. And to me, it just doesn't add up. And it's such a shame, it's a waste of their potential in, in God because the New Testament phrase is being saved and added. It's not just following Jesus, it's being added in into a community of people who are following him and loving him together. Time and time again we're told they were saved and added. What were they added to? Of course it was the church. And if you're a Christian this morning, then the New Testament expects you to be committed and dedicated to a local church, devoted to one another as part of your expression of following Jesus. Why? Because it's where you find your place in God's kingdom. It's where you're cared for and can give care. It's where you can reach out from and it's where you can grow spiritually. And all those things we want to do as those who love Jesus. Remember what Keller says? There is no way you'll be able to grow spiritually apart from a deep involvement in a community of other believers. Do you want to grow spiritually? Anybody? We do, don't we? Well, this is part of it, friends. This is one of the ways that God has ordained for us to grow in him. You see, it's in community that our rough edges get rubbed off, isn't it? Because we're challenged and loved by others. It's where we can grow in God's. It's in that sort of setting where you know others and you are known. Where others know your weaknesses, your vulnerabilities, can look out for you, can care for you and love you as you give love and care in return. 
you've seen the video this morning of us as a, uh, a core team in the north. North, and We're having great fun in that, in that video as you saw making it. But there's a real sense of friendship there and amazing honesty and vulnerability. Real accountability, real deep, loyal friendships. I want us to generate those time and again right across the church in small groups, wherever we may build them. Because without those sort of relationships, you're going to miss it. You're not going to fulfill all that God wants you to be. So if you're maybe new to Derby, or maybe you're a student here this morning, I want to encourage you, don't spend the next six months trawling every church and comparing and contrasting different things. But pray, make a decision and get stuck in. And get known. Be known. Be devoted. Get some accountable relationships in your lives really quickly. See, building a community that disciples is important to us. So what if you don't have those sort of relationships? You might be thinking, well, how can it work for me? Well, for me, I've sought those sort of relationships over the years. I've gone to people and said, I want to be accountable to you. I want you to speak into my life. I want you to help me grow. And I've said it as bluntly and as clearly as that. Because that then gives someone permission then to speak into my life and to say, okay, well, let's talk about this or that or the other or whatever it might be on the long list of things they probably have. Now, I can remember one person I said that to some years ago, thinking this is a good thing to say. I I felt really good for saying it, because I'd heard a similar sermon and thought, I need that in my life. Well, I'll invite that. And I went to somebody I trusted and respected, and I said to them, I want you to speak into my life. I want you to be accountable to me. Sorry, I want it to be accountable to you. Will you help me grow? I thought, great, I've done it. Walked away. Week or two later, they came to me and said, Graham, can we have a chat? Yeah. He said, Do you remember that conversation we had a couple of weeks ago where you said you wanted to grow and be accountable? And I'm thinking, Yeah, it was good, wasn't it? He said, Can we just talk about something that happened this morning? I'm thinking, ah, No. <laughs> but it's only by me giving permission that, to this individual that he felt able then to challenge me on something. And we talked about something, we prayed about it, and I was able to deal with it and grow in God's. Who are you going to? Who are you accountable to? Who have you opened your life to? I want to suggest each of us should be able to think of, you know, maybe a couple of people that we can think right off, yeah, you know what? They speak into my life. They help me grow in God. If you haven't got that yet, then I want to encourage you to pray about it and go looking for it. Someone you trust and respect in the Lord who you can open your life to and can help you grow in him. Encourage acts of honesty as well in your, in your life groups as we build them. But as well as building a, uh, a community that care and that disciple, we need to build a community that serve. See, serving God and serving one another is a natural result of God's love and his mercy, isn't it? If you walked out of here this morning, and uh, uh, as you walk perhaps going uh, through, the, through the city or uh, across the river maybe, and maybe you fell off the bridge and into the river. And if you imagine that somebody saw you do that, and they jumped in, and they saved your life. They pulled you to the edge, and, uh, and they saved you. You'd be grateful, wouldn't you? I assume you would be grateful. And possibly one of the things that you would say to them is, is thank you so much. Is, is there anything I can do for you? 
because that's a natural result of when someone has done something so significant for us, we want to express our appreciation and our thanks to them. It's a perfectly natural reaction. Hasn't Jesus saved you? Hasn't he reached down and rescued you? What's your response to him this morning? Now, let's be clear. You cannot add to your salvation by serving God. You are saved by his grace and grace alone. It's a gift. You cannot make God love you any more, or having said that, any less. However, he does encourage us to serve. And the good news is that not only does he encourage us to serve, but he gives us gifts to serve him with. So, for example, in in Romans chapter 12, verse 4, it says this. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Now, if we had time, we could read a similar passage in 1 Corinthians 12 as well. You see, we're, time and again, we're told that God has given gifts. And to each of us, as we follow him, he gives us gifts. I wonder, do you know what your gift is? Or maybe your gifts, plural. Often it's a mix, and it's okay. That'd be true for many of us. But all of us should be looking to serve in the area that God has gifted us in. Looking at what God has enabled us to do. Maybe it's a passion or an interest, a gift that he's given us, an ability that he's enabled us to have. And we should be able to use that in response to him, in worship to him, in serving him. I mean, that's largely how I got into leading a church. You know, I was serving God in an area that he had gifted me in, in leadership and some other things. I enjoyed it. Some other people spotted it and encouraged it and encouraged me. I looked to grow in those areas. I sought out some training and coaching. And so for me, my my job, what I do is an extension of me serving God. It's just a way in which I can serve God and worship him. My role on on the New Frontiers North UK team that we've talked about earlier is part of me serving, actually. That's all it is. You know, I want to serve in whichever you know, arena God opens up. And I trust that will be true for each of us this morning. And as a church, we want to serve as well. Serve the wider New Frontiers family of churches that we're part of. So one way Jubilee gets to serve is by releasing me to some things outside Jubilee that we've you know, referred to already. Actually, it's all about serving. And what do you find Jesus doing in the Gospels? You find him serving. Listen to what he says in Matthew 20, 28. Jesus says, just as the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus saw even his life and all that he did as an opportunity 
to serve. Now, I know that many of you, many of you even sitting here this morning, already give your time and your energy to serving in different areas in the church. And for that, I'm very grateful. And there are many who are not sitting here this morning because they are doing that even now with some of our kids and young people particularly. But if you're already involved in serving in Jubilee, then I want to thank you because we couldn't do it without you. Jubilee Church would not happen if we weren't giving our time and energy in serving our Lord and one another. But I know there's also many of you who haven't yet found your place to connect and your place to, to serve. And uh, I want to encourage you in that this morning. Because serving is just about being part of a family. And right from an early age, I was taught about responsibility. So as a kid, I had some responsibilities, and I, I knew them, and I had to carry them out. And it might have been clearing the table after dinner. It might have been doing the washing up. As I got older, maybe it was you know, tidying my room. Once I learned to drive, maybe it was taking my younger sister places in the car that my parents lent me. But as well as responsibilities, I had some privileges as being part of the family. I had a key to the door. I could let myself in. I knew I could turn up at certain times and there's a pretty good likelihood of me being fed. I knew that if, my, if I left my clothes in a certain place, then a few days later they would magically reappear, having been cleaned and ironed and folded and arrived in my wardrobe. I had privileges and responsibilities. They, they went together. But just as that was true of my family growing up, I want to suggest it's true for us as well as a church. Now, our, our serving God shouldn't come out of any pressure or be a burden, but rather should be a joyful expression of what it is to love Jesus. Now, you'll see in your seats this morning that we've produced a little flyer which tells you about some of the teams that you can serve in in Jubilee. Now, I'm trusting you've all got one of these on your seats. If you haven't, there's some more on the table just in the foyer. You can grab one as you go. But I want to encourage you, if you're not involved in, in serving in uh, a team in Jubilee yet, then have a look at this and see what you might like to get involved in. There's some contact details, phone numbers, email addresses there. I want to encourage all of us to be involved in serving in one form or another. And as you do that, you get involved, you build relationships, you build communities, we've been talking about. You get an opportunity to develop your gifts, you find your place in God's church. And you get to be part of a community that serve. I want to encourage us to, to go for that. But as well as that, finally, we need to be building a community that reach out. Now, we'll talk more about this next Sunday. But just a couple of things that, that fit here briefly. Jesus said that the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And it's clear in the Gospels that God has a heart for lost people. And we'll develop that theme, as I said, next Sunday. But as we've talked about community this morning, let me begin to wrap up with this. We need to be making sure that we build a community, not that's inward-looking, not that navel-gazes, but that always looks out. Always looking to include new people. Always looking to reach out and hold out a hand of friendship 
and welcome other people in. We must never, ever get to the stage where we don't want to include anybody else. Where we think, oh, it's nice and comfortable now. Maybe that's it. No, no, no. Even just in the city of Derby, there are a quarter of a million or so people who don't know Jesus yet. We've got a whole load of work to do just here. And that's without other places that God has put on our hearts to plant congregations and churches and small groups in. There's a vast task ahead of us. So let's be looking to build a community that wants to reach out and gather new people in. God's spoken to us, hasn't he, about Jubilee growing, about us being a significant size. And uh, that's going to happen by new people coming in. And the good news is that on a Sunday morning, maybe you don't realize this, but pretty much every Sunday we get new people coming. Maybe maybe you're visiting for the first time even this morning and you're an example of that. Well, that's true for us each week. Nearly every week we get somebody come for the first time. Looking into Jubilee, looking in to see if this might be a place that God wants them to be. I wonder what sort of experience do they get? In some churches go months, even years, without having any new person go through the doors. Do you realize that? That would be true. There are churches in this country, maybe even in this city, that haven't had a new person in months. And yet we get new people looking every week. I mean, it is an amazing privilege that we have. And so if that's the case, I wonder what sort of experience do they have? See, I want Jubilee to be the friendliest church in the city. You know, I don't think we can promise the best preaching in the city. Maybe there are better preachers around. Some of you are thinking, there really are better preachers around. <laughs> Maybe there are churches that are larger and have more ministries going on. Maybe there are churches with bigger bands or whatever, whatever you might say. But listen, I think that we can make Jubilee the friendliest, most welcoming church in Derby. I really do. But it will take all of us being intentional about it in order to do it. Kevin sent me this week... Uh, some quotes from a website uh, that had sent some mystery worshippers to different churches. And uh, the mystery worshippers then posted their report. Listen to what they say. The question is this, did anyone welcome you personally? Okay, these are real churches. This is a real person's experience. Not of Jubilee, but of other places. Did anyone welcome you personally? I said hello to the person who was handing out books and leaflets, but got no 